Today's podcast is brought to you by the new HBO series, Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons. Hey, I know that guy. The new show will feature intimate conversations with compelling guests from the worlds of pop culture, sports, entertainment, the arts, and technology. Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons will also include field segments and Simmons' signature commentary on current events. Make sure to watch Any Given Wednesday with Bill Simmons, premiering Wednesday, June 22nd at 10 p.m. on HBO. We're also brought to you by our new website, TheRinger.com, presented by Miller Lite. Go now, or at least right after you listen to this podcast, and check out the latest in pop culture, sports, and technology at TheRinger.com. Last but not least, want to mention our presenting sponsor, Yahoo Sports, which has been a leader in fantasy sports for nearly two decades. It's great to see that they recently introduced Fair Play for Daily Fantasy. Yahoo is helping to level the playing field for sports fans with strict contest entry limits and veteran labels for highly experienced players so you know who you're playing against. Yahoo Sports is offering our listeners a special offer. Go to the Yahoo Fantasy app or visit yahoo.com slash daily fantasy and use promo code R-I-N-G-E-R with your next deposit to receive a one-time $50 deposit bonus that is earned over time as you play. Plus, first-time depositors will receive a $10 credit to enter contests. So remember, that's promo code RINGER, R-I-N-G-E-R, on Yahoo Sports Daily Fantasy. podcast. This is Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com, a wonderful new website that you should frequent. Today, we are joined by Rani Jazerli, who is a dermatologist by day and an outstanding baseball scribe occasionally by night. And uh, today, Tuesday, June 7th, we were gifted with, uh, with a piece on the Chicago Cubs. So we wanted to, uh, to have you on to chat a bit about that piece and, and talk more about what's happening at Wrigley Field this year. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Valerie. Yeah, it was uh, uh, one of those pieces to write that was uh, just so easy because the Cubs are just, they are just a treasure trove right now of fascinating stats and trends and things that we've literally never seen in our lifetime before. Um, You know, 40 and 16 as we talk, and you can make the argument that they actually are underachieving relative to their record. That was uh that was one of my favorite parts about the piece that you wrote where you know you set it up as uh here is the simplest way to sum up how good this team is with facts that should be mutually exclusive. Number 1, the 2016 Chicago Cubs are on pace to challenge the all-time record for victories in a su- season. Number 2, they are underachieving. Like that contradiction simultaneously defines what's happening with this team this season and sort of defies our ability to logically explain it. It, it's, it is crazy. I mean, they're on pace right now to, to win 116 games, which would be which would tie the all-time Major League record. And, you know, we've seen teams start this hot before. I mean, I, I remember as a kid, famously, the, the Detroit Tigers started 35-5 and five in 1984. Uh, you had the Seattle Mariners. I think they were 47-12 and 12 at one point during the 2001 season. So it's not simply that they're winning, you know, more than two-thirds of their games at this point in the year. It's that... They're doing it by just steamrolling over every team, winning games by five, six, seven runs, and almost never losing by more than one or two runs when they do lose. I mean, they've lost 16 games. Seven of those have been by one run, and five of them have been by two runs. They've lost four games all year by three runs or more. That, to me, is the the stat that sums up this team more than anything, is they 
had four games all year in which they basically didn't have at least a tying run on deck in the ninth inning. And that's just, that's not normal. And, and we, you know, I ran through the, the numbers in the piece, but it's essentially unprecedented in 100 years for a team to play this well in terms of how many runs they're scoring and how many runs they're allowing for two months of the season. Where does uh where does drafting Hector Rondon as your top closer rank among the worst fantasy baseball decisions somebody could have made this year? <laughs> you know, you look at that and you're like, this is a you know an upper class I mean, closer and a great it's team. Not a bad move, right? Well, it's looking it's, like one now. The Cubs are are so good that they are that they're taking the you know conventional wisdom of you know closers on good teams will earn a lot of saves, and they're basically saying, nah, we're going to win by so many runs that he's never going to get a save situation. Um, but he is. You know, inning for inning, he's probably one of the 10 best, maybe 10 best relievers in baseball at this point. And here's a guy who was picked as a, as a Rule 5 player, right. right, in the Rule 5 draft four years ago. He's a really good example of sort of how Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer have built this roster through, you know, every means imaginable. Just they've made so many intelligent decisions in the draft, drafting Rondon in the Rule 5 draft, drafting Chris Bryant with the second pick which seems like a no-brainer now, but at the time was kind of controversial in the, in the, uh, uh, in the June draft three years ago. Um, you know, the trades they've made, the free agents they've signed. You know, I went through the piece. I tried to find the worst mistakes that this administration has made in the last four years. It was kind of hard to find any. I mean, you know, signing Edwin Jackson to a big four-year contract, and he, you know, he was not good for the Cubs, and eventually they released him, and, and that was a lot of money thrown down the drain. That's probably the worst mistake. They 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 traded Wellington Castillo last year, who is a, a starting catcher, and he's he's been playing very well for Arizona ever since. I mean, you can nitpick decisions, but there really aren't that many decisions that the Cubs would want to have back. And they've made so many smart moves building this roster. None of these guys were on the major league roster when when Epstein and Hoyer were hired four years ago, and it's now one of the greatest teams we've ever seen through two months of the season. Um, so I don't. I, I I don't feel bad for you for taking Hector Rondon because he's a really good pitcher, and I assume he will get more saves. But it, it's just a testament how good this team is that there just aren't saves out there for him to pick up. Do you think that Jed Hoyer should should get more credit from the masses than he does? I mean, obviously, people who are deeply embedded in the baseball community are always going to mention his name alongside Epstein. But I, you know, I think that among casual baseball fans and just sort of general sports fans it's always about Theo it's always about what Theo's done here in Chicago what Theo did in Boston do, do you think that's that's sort of a fair representation of the situation or do you think that that Hoyer is sort of like uh just in an unfortunate situation where he's always going to live in the more famous guy's shadow yeah I mean he he does get short shrift and I mean I'm as guilty of this as anyone because when I write about the Cubs I I start with Theo in part because the narrative is just it's more interesting to talk about Theo because, of course, he was the GM in Boston when they won the World Series. And, you know, I don't think I don't think you could craft a more succinct Hall of Fame application for an executive than to just to, to write two lines. The first line says, helped Boston win his first World Series in 86 years. And then the second line would be, you know, helped the Chicago Cubs win their first World Series in 108 years or whatever. So I think the narrative is part of what makes people focus on Theo. But... But you're right. I mean, Jed, what Jed was, you know, assistant to, to, to Theo in uh, in Boston, and he is technically the general manager now, and he deserves, you know, this is. I don't think any of these decisions are made between the two 
you know, they're, they're always made mutually. And I think this is something we're seeing in a lot of front offices. The Dodgers, you know, everyone talks about Andrew Friedman. Well, he's technically the president of the team. The general manager is Farhan Zaidi. But these modern front offices, especially the more analytic ones, they seem to function as a team very well together. And so it's very hard from the outside to say whose decision it is when, when the team makes a trade or drafts a player or whatever. So speaking of trades and the draft, you know, the, the MLB draft is, uh, is, is this Thursday, and we're mm-hmm. not too far away from the trade deadline. I mean, the season is evaporating, as it always does, and this is a, a you know— uh, outstanding team as we just outlined on pace to p- potentially uh, topple the all-time regular season wins record but it's not a perfect team right so looking at the current roster taking into account you know the Schwarber injury possible regression candidates which we can talk about a little bit more uh, in, in a few minutes here what do you identify as as the chief need moving forward what should this team look for in the draft when it comes to restocking the farm system what should this team potentially be looking for in July the trades have already begun the White Sox have dealt for James Shields so you know w- w- what pieces does this team need if any this yeah, this is a, it's a good question and if anything this is if you're looking for a potential weakness for the team, in a sense, this might be it. And that what makes this team, I think, so good is the depth that they have, right? They had the depth that when Schwarber was lost for the year, well, they had Jorge Soler, you know, right there to step in. And Soler just went on the d- disabled list with a with a, a strained hamstring. And so they just brought up Alberto Mora, who's a very good prospect, a former first-round pick, to play for a little while. They don't have a lot of needs. But at the same time, that also means they don't have a lot of places that they can upgrade really easily. Right. And you, you look at like the Royals last year winning the World Series. They went out midseason. They, they, were, they were the best team in baseball, and yet they had a complete scar at second base. They went out and got Ben Zobrist in a trade, um, and that completely changed their lineup because they went from having one of the worst regulars at that position to one of the best. Um, this team, the Cubs don't really have that. I mean, frankly, the, the worst hitter on their lineup right now is Jason Hayward. What they need is for Jason Hayward to start hitting a little more like they expected Jason Hayward to hit. Hit a home run last um, night. He's heating up. Well, exactly. All the way up to uh, 220. You, know, you would think it's coming around. I mean, he's, he has been a very um, exasperating player throughout his career. I mean, a guy who, you know, as a rookie, had a 393 on base percentage, hit 18 home runs. Um, he was 20 years old at the time. When he was 22, he hit 27 home runs. And you're thinking this guy's going to be a superstar. And he's been a star because his defense in right field is just so incredible but the, the power just has never really come and i mean you know he's slugging lower this year than he than he ever has before so he's still only 26 years old he's still at that age where he could very easily uh you know the light bulb goes on and he starts crushing it and i think the cubs still expect that but you know it's it, it certainly not it's not like they're going to bench him right in the, the three-year well technically i guess it's a seven-year commitment he can opt right. out after three years i mean he's he's in that lineup you know, every day, no matter what, so they have to hope that he he starts to come around. But there's really no one else in that lineup that you're going to look at and, and point to and say we need to upgrade there. Maybe left field. I mean, with you know, Solaire was was not great before he got hurt. Um, that would be a position where if they could get one bat, Schwarber's injury, while they've been able to you know paper over pretty pretty darn, damn well. I mean, they could use a big thumper, uh, one more big thumper, and probably left field would be the position. But, you know, you look at the rotation. Nobody in the, the, the rotation has an ERA over three. Who exactly are you going to replace? The concern there is they've only used five starting pitchers all year. They haven't had a single, you know, injury to the rotation. 
do they have the depth if one of those guys gets hurt? Because it's very hard to go through an entire season without using a sixth or seventh starter. Right. So, you know, picking up a starter would probably be helpful, but are they really going to want to give away a lot of prospects to, to acquire a pitcher that isn't necessarily an improvement on what they have now? I mean, if the, the, the market for starting pitching, you know, the, free, the, the upcoming free agent class is very, very weak. And those are the guys, the, the pending free agents are the guys that you typically trade for at midseason. I don't see a guy on the, the market this, uh, this July that would be an upgrade for the Cubs in that department. The bullpen, you know, every, every team can always use an extra reliever, but realistically, you know, Hector Rondon's great. You know, Trevor Cahill's been, been, been good. Travis Wood has been very good from the left side. They don't have a lot of needs. I guess left field would be the one, but it also means that there's not a lot of ways for the team to to upgrade, but when you're 40 and 16, do you really need to upgrade? I guess would be the question. Right. Okay. A couple follow-up questions, one about left field and one about the, the rotation. With the rotation, it, you know, you mentioned the, the, the possibility, obviously, that's always always present with pitchers of injury, but w- what about the prospect of regression? Like, I, I look at Jason Hamill in particular, you know, with a, with a FIP that's a, like a, a run and a quarter, a run and a half mm-hmm. uh, higher than his ERA and that just screams regression candidate to me. I mean, obviously they don't need Jason Hamill to be a, a, a mid twos ERA guy to continue winning. But when you look at Hamill, Lackey and Hendrick, all exceeding expectations and pitching at, at a, you know, ace ish caliber level, you know, basically putting up obviously not, not Arietta level stats, but any of these guys could be a number two on, on, you know, half the teams in the league right now. Is that really sustainable when, the career marks don't really indicate that that's what Jason Hamill should be doing at this point, or that that's what John Lackey has well, left in the tank. I mean, you make a good point about how you know Hamill's ERA is much better than Fip. Um, that's the case for you know some uh, some of the other guys in the rotation, but that's actually an issue for the team as a whole. I mean, mm-hmm. the team ERA is two sixty, the team Fip is three thirty two, and to me, the central question of if you want to 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 ask the question is this team going to continue to win at a historic pace? Uh, you know, the central question to whether that will happen or not is, can their run prevention continue to exceed the the talent level of the pitching staff? Because their their ERA is so much better than the fifth. Is that defense or is that luck? Right. Because that that is where defense manifests itself, is by pitching staffs give up a lot fewer runs than you would expect from the number of walks and strikeouts and home runs. They give up because the, the defense is so good at turning balls and in, in play into outs. I mean, that was this, the, again the Royal success from last year with a very mediocre rotation. Was their defense was exceptional, and so their ERA was a lot lower than you would expect from the talent level of the pitchers. The thing with the Cubs is you go around the diamond. I mean, it's a it looks like a good defensive team. It does not look like a historically great defensive team, which is what the numbers are suggesting. I mean, their batting average on balls at play. Is, is around 250 or maybe even a little lower than that now, which is just ridiculous. I mean, you know, league average is around 296, and exceptional defensive teams are usually in the 260, 270 range. 250 is, is absurd. Right. And, you know, Addison Russell's a good shortstop. Is he the best shortstop in baseball defensively? I don't think so. Um, Jason Hayward is exceptional in right field. We know that. Dexter Fowler had always been below average defensively until this year. The numbers suggest he's improved. The, the Cubs have moved him back where he sets up with, uh, before the pitch is thrown. He's, he's playing deeper, and that seems to help. But, you know, Chris Bryant isn't considered a go-glover at third base. He's even played a little bit in left field this year. So it's, you know, trying to 
reconcile the numbers with what we think of as the defensive, uh, you know, ability of this team is 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 difficult, and that may just be the Cubs using analytics at, at a level that you and I are not able to perceive because mm-hmm. teams have a lot of proprietary data, and right. they may be positioning their defense in a way that is really improving the outcomes without us really being able to see that. Um, but that that is my concern, not just for Hamill, but for the pitching staff in general, is regression. Is Are they really going to be able to be this good all year round? Because the offense has been very good. They, they, they got the most runs per game in the league, but just a little better than the Cardinals and the Pirates and a few other teams. The pitching staff's allowed half a run game better than any other team in the league. That's really the key to their success, and I'm not sure if that's sustainable. I, I mean, even if it's not, they'll still win probably 100 games. Right. But, I, you know, if you're like me, you want to see history. You want to see this team win 115, 117 games maybe. And for that to happen, the pitching staff has to continue to pitch at this ridiculous level. So the the point you're just making about the, the defensive performance and the impact that that's had on the pitching staff actually connects quite nicely to the, the other question I wanted to ask about left field. I'm almost afraid to put this thought out into the world uh, because of the bad karma that might come my way as a result. And I want to be clear that I do not necessarily personally believe this. I just think it's worth discussing. Is there an argument to be made that losing Schwarber potentially helped more than it hurt because the offense has been able to survive without his bat, but the defense hasn't suffered from his glove? It's an interesting thought. Um, I, I, I can't, I can't refute it. You know, I mean, seeing Schwarber the way he played defense last year against the Mets in the NLCS, you know, wasn't pretty at times. Right. And you know, I don't, I didn't think the difference between having him out there and, and someone like Solaire would be that big a difference. But when you look at how good this defense has played, how good they have been at turning, you know, balls and play into outs, yeah, you wonder if any link in that chain is disrupted, would that affect their ability to to, to play such good defense i do think i mean i think they missed a bat but but you have a point that they may they i think that the shape of the team would be different they probably have even more runs scored but they probably would have given up a lot more runs as well i i don't know that they'd be worse but i don't think they'd necessarily be better the loss of schwarber i think it hurts uh more from the standpoint that if they have another injury like Belair going down now or if bowler or hayward gets hurt you know that that's one less guy that they can plug in there. But the thing about this team that is, uh, I think, a really underrated reason for their success, I didn't really get have time to get into this in the article, is, is like I mentioned, the depth is the, how good their bench is and how versatile their bench is. Right? I mean, Javier Baez can step in at second base or third base. They can move Bryant to left field. So if they have injuries, you know, they can move guys around. Tommy Lastella has played coming off the bench. You know, he's got an OPS of 865, and he's, you know, essentially a bench guy placed in second and third base as well. Matt Caesar has hit 333. I'm, I'm, that's he's not as good as he's played, and I think there'll be some regression there. But he's filled in at times and been very good. So they haven't missed Schwarber nearly as much as I thought they would. In part because some of their bench guys are hitting so well. But going forward, I'm not sure that that's something they can count on. Which again is another reason why they'll probably come back to the pack a little bit. I'm curious of all the truly eye-opening amazing stats that you dug up for this article which one just wowed you the most like which one were you like i can't believe this is real i must have made a mistake here this is just insane i just think i think the fact that they are 27 and four in in games decided by three runs or more i mean that's just it's just cuckoo 
just absolutely cuckoo. I mean, they are, you know, we, we uh, the Baseball Reference, which is a, a wonderful resource, BaseballReference.com, and I use for for almost all the stats in this piece. They they list the team's record in one-run games and then what they call blowouts, which are games decided by five runs or more. And they're twenty and three in blowout, which is nuts, but. I, it's not unprecedented. The 1939 Yankees, who are considered one of the great teams of all time, were like 41 and six in games decided by five runs. Truly great teams. It's hard to be, it's hard to beat by five runs at all. But to to be 27 and four in three run games. I mean, three runs is nothing. You a team loses a game six to three. Nobody's going to call that a blowout. The Cubs have lost four games like that all year. That's that is to me what is just astounding, and it's a testament to how good their pitching staff is. That you know, they, they are, they're averaging less than three runs allowed per game, right? So, obviously, you're not going to lose by three runs if you haven't given up three runs. <laughs> right. Um, it, but it's just, I've never seen anything remotely like that before. That's the one that really made me think that I could, I could, I could have written another 5,000 words just on funny stats from this team, but that's the one that really stood out. Um, the, thing that, the thing that really stood out to me is the Twitter poll uh, that we put out on the Ringer feed today. <laughs> Which I'll just, just, you know, this is ongoing. I think I voted for the asteroid. This is ongoing, so the numbers might change by the time people listen. But let's just let's just share with the listeners where things stand at the moment. So the question was, is this the year for the Cubs? So far, 23% have, have, have said yes. Okay, so that's coming in last. Uh, 24% have said don't want to jinx it. 25% have said never. And currently leading the pack, 28% of voters uh, chose an asteroid will strike. <laughs> They're too close to call, Valerie. This, this this one may need a recap, but yeah, I mean, Cubs fans, non-Cubs fans, I think everybody is just so confused by what's going on. You know, I mean, this is sort of the point of the, of the pieces. The Cubs seem like this irresistible force, but the immovable object of their history more than any team in American sports, I think we're all kind of terrified as to what's going to happen with this team you know, goes into October with a hundred and however many wins they have, and at the same time, a hundred and however many years it's been they won a, won a championship. You know, we're, we're, it's going to be mass hysteria, cats and dogs living together. This is going to be October's going to be a frightening time, I think, to be an American and in, in, you know, certainly living here in Chicago. So uh, anything beautiful. is possible. You know who I feel bad for? The Pittsburgh Pirates, because for years. <laughs> For years, the Pirates... The Clint Hurdle Invitational. That's what we call the wild card game. It's just unbelievable to have to, to finally get that franchise into contender shape. To put out, to field a winner, and then to have to finish behind the Cardinals every year must have been agonizing enough. But now, <laughs> the Cardinals are sitting there in third, and the Pirates are nine and a half games behind the Cubs. The Pirates are really They're good. pretty much already fighting for a wild card. I mean, they've hosted, think about it, they've hosted, not just played them, but they've hosted the wild card game three years in a row. Right? They won it the first year. And, you know, that was, and then went on and, and gave the Cardinals a scare before falling in, in the uh, uh, NLDS. The second year, it was a one-game winner-take-all. Guess who they got to see? Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go well. Mm-hmm. And then who did they see last year? Again, winner-take-all, Jake Arrieta. And now they're nine and a half games or whatever behind, you know, the Cubs, even though they are on pace themselves to, you know, win 90 games or whatever. So, no, I I completely agree. The the Pirates are just, it's been terrible timing, terrible geography for them being in the the National League Central these last couple of years, um, disguising what is really a really good team on on a small budget.
It's brutal. Sorry for all you Bucks fans out there. Okay, so I, I do want to ask you a couple questions about the Royals before we let you go. But last question on the Cubs. Um, you did an excellent job of presenting eye-opening data, of explaining how this team was built, of projecting what might come the rest of this season. But mm-hmm. what is your actual prediction? Let's let's put it out there. What, what, where where would you have voted in the Twitter poll? You said you, you thought you, you you think you picked the asteroid, but is this Cub gonna um, is this Cubs team gonna win 117 games? Is this Cubs team actually gonna end the streak and win the World Series? Well, if you had to put money down now, where where are you going? God, you know, you don't please don't ask me to to pick a playoff. You know, the outcome of best of five, best of seven series that that's tough, right? I, I if you do the numbers, even with all you know, even if they really are as good as they've been playing, the odds of winning two playoff rounds in a row just to get to the World Series is 50-50 or so. Right, based on the numbers, which you know puts them at about 25% chance to win the world championship. I, I believe uh, Fangraphs they do their annual or their their daily uh, sort of playoff odds, and they have the the Cubs at about the same number, 25%, 26% to win the World Series. I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, they're pretty much a lock, barring some sort of horrible catastrophe, to 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 win the division, so they can skip the wild card game. But you know. We've seen, we saw the 2001 Seattle Mariners are the last team like this, and they lost in the ALCS to the Yankees. So I, I'm, I hesitate to make any kind of prediction as to what's happen, going to happen in the playoffs. I think in terms of where they'll finish the season, you know, on the one hand, there are you know, lots of small reasons why they're probably going to regress, not the least of which is no team wins 72% of their games all the time. Uh, we talked about you know, the defense may not be this good, and... and you know, the pitching staff may not stay this healthy. But the thing that's tugging them in the other direction is that based on the number of runs they scored in a lot, I mean, they've almost scored twice as many runs as they've allowed. I mean, that's just crazy. They, based on that, they should actually be better than 40 and 16. They should be about 43 and 13 based on their run. So you do have these two forces pulling in different directions. I would, if I had to guess right now, I would, I would put them at about 110 wins, which... Wow. You know, is going to fall short of what the record. What a letdown! Only 110 wins. I know. How but pedestrian. I mean, it sounds crazy. Like I can't believe I'm even saying 100, predicting a team to win 110 games in early June. Like so much could go wrong still. But between the depth they have, if they do have an injury or two, between the fact that you have so many teams in the National League that actively aren't trying to win, um, you know, you have something like six teams that are, you know, in various stages of rebuilding that the Cubs really haven't even had a chance to totally feast on yet. I mean, the Cubs are 17-6 and six against teams with winning records. Um, so when they get to play, you know, more games against the, the Brewers or the Padres who are, you know, selling everything off now, or the Braves, um, you know, I think that I think they have it in them to get to 110. Okay. A team that is not going to get to 110 wins, your Kansas City Royals, defending world champions, having a little bit of a tough go of it so far with the injuries. Uh, I would just be a dereliction of duty if I didn't check in and ask how you're feeling about the season, how you're uh, how you're surviving all of these DL stints, and uh, how you're feeling about the, the team moving forward. Only two and a half games behind the Indians, despite everything that's gone wrong so far. And only one game out of the of the wild card spot, which is really astounding. I, and by the way, I'm not conceding they're not getting 110 wins. I concede nothing as a Royals fan. But um, yeah, it's it's been. I don't want to say predictable, but I mean for everything that has gone right for them the last two seasons, um, I, it's hard as a Royals fan to be 
bitter about what's going on right now. Um, yeah, they've been uh, among um, among other good strokes of fortune. They have been extremely healthy the last couple of years. Um, really, the only serious injury they had last year, Alex Gordon, um, you know, was out for two months with a leg injury. But that actually per- provoked the Ben Zobers trade. And when Gordon came back and Zobers moved to second base, it actually turned out to be maybe a blessing, and it added a hitter to the lineup. This year, you know, a single foul ball knocked out both Alex Gordon and Mike Mistock as they were chasing a foul ball down the line in Chicago, um, collided with each other. Gordon broke his hand, is out for another month. Moustakis looked like a mild knee contusion. It turns out he tore his ACL. So, you know, one play caused more injuries than the team had probably in the last two years combined, at least from the offensive side. Um, but I think it's more than just, you know, those guys being hurt. I mean, before they got hurt, Alex Gordon was, was not hitting very well. Uh, Kendrick Morales is hitting under 200. Um, you know, they they really have never solved the second base situation since Zobris left. Omar Infante was they made him the starter again. He's hitting 239. Has been benched. Um, the team has quietly gotten kind of old. You know, these guys they had this amazing farm system five years ago, and the fruits of that farm system are key part of what helped them win the World Series. Yeah, Eric Hosmer. Mike Mistakis, Salvador Perez, um, the trade for Alcides Escobar and Lorenzo Kane, who were both rookies or just past their rookie season when they were acquired. Um, you know, those guys aren't old, but they're not they're not young anymore. You know, Perez and Hosmer are twenty six, Kane is thirty, and then you look at the other guys in the lineup, you know, Kendrick Morales is thirty three, and Fonte is thirty four. And I think at some point if if they have not they've had a very stable lineup the last couple of years, they haven't really introduced a lot of new young talent from their farm system. I think some of that is catching up to them because they have some aging bats that are starting to show it and they have not had a chance to replace those guys yet. So between that and between the fact that the the rotation, which nobody expected to be dominant, but people expected to be kind of average has really been, it's been in the tank. I mean, the bullpen has been phenomenal as it has been every year. And really, the only reason why this team is over 500 and, and still within, you know, a shot of, of the playoffs. But Jordan Ventura, as, as we speak, he's given up five runs tonight in Baltimore. He's been a yeah. big disappointment. Go O's. Yeah. It, it hasn't been good. Chris Young has given up 17 home runs in 41 innings, which is a neat trick, um, but not a good one. And uh, Chris Medlin was terrible, and then he got hurt. They've they've had to start Dylan uh, Dylan G in the rotation, so the rotation's just it's just bad. Duffy no looks alright. I feel like Duffy is finally like showing those flashes. Duffy is Duffy has actually been the one revelation. He has not walked a batter in his last four starts. Yeah, and he's striking, which out is a unbelievable ton of guys. for a guy whose biggest his biggest problem since he was a rookie is he doesn't throw enough strikes. I mean, he's a left-hander who throws ninety-six miles an hour. He has one of the the best fastballs velocity-wise of any left-hand starting pitcher in the major league that has for years, but has just never thrown enough strikes. It's not just he walks guys. Just you know, It'll be the fifth inning, and he's thrown 101 pitches, and just no durability. And he started the season in the bullpen, was very good as we expected him to be because he's that kind of mentality, that the kind of stuff that plays up well in the bullpen. They moved him back in desperation because guys were getting hurt. And... You know, his first start, he went three innings. They were stretching out his arm. He walked two guys. And then his last four starts, he hasn't walked anybody. He has really turned a corner. And I don't want, you know, I don't want to put pressure on a guy. The, 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 
the model for this kind of mid-career turnaround where a left-handed pitcher just learns how to throw strikes and turns into a dominant pitcher would be Cliff Lee. And that's that's a lot to put on a guy like Duffy, but the kind of performance he's shown this season so far is somewhat evocative of when Cliff Lee went from kind of just a league average, just a guy, to a Cy Young contender. Um, So as a Royals fan, that's the one really big... um, Silver lining to this season, and the other one, like I said, is they're still over 500. They're still a game out of a playoff spot. The American League is wide open, you know. Whereas the National League, you have half a dozen teams that aren't even trying. Really, every team in the American League went into the season with with at least a hope of contending, and with the exception of the Twins, there really isn't a team that's out of it. So it, it's a it's a season where 89, 90 wins may get you a wild card spot. Um, the American League Central that might get you the the division, uh, you know, might get you first place. So they still have a chance, but it's obviously not going to be nearly as easy as it was last year. I uh, have spent the last week, week and a half, full of regret for not bidding an extra dollar or two on Whit Merrifield in my uh, AL-only keeper league because <laughs> I put in a $3 bid, which I thought was reasonable at the time. He went for, I can't also remember, Also because it's Whit Merrifield. He, exactly. He's been delightful. I love him. He he is the the best comp I can give you to him is he is Willie Bloomquist. If you remember Willie Bloomquist, <laughs> of course, came up and hit over 400 as a September call up. A guy not really a prospect who kind of came out of nowhere. Who is this guy? That's what Merrifield is, and that he's not a great prospect, but he can play everywhere on the on the diamond, infield, outfield. They'll use him everywhere. He's really fast. Uh, you know, I think already had 16 steals in AAA before they called him up. He's got three already. Um, and he'll, you know, he'll hit singles, and he'll, you know, he'll hit behind the runner and hit and run, and you know that that kind of team team player. But you know, if you're looking for 15 home runs and 80 RBIs from a from a guy for fantasy purposes, Whit Merrifield's not your guy. But he's a, he's a delightful guy to have on your roster. But you really don't want him to be hey, your everyday starting second baseman, and that's sort of what get, he's become with the world. Things right? get desperate in an AL only keeper league. Desperate, let me tell you. It is bleak and gray out there. All right. This was delightful. Is, is there this anything the League else? of Dorks, by yes, the way? Yes, this is the League of Dorks. This is my first year in the League of Dorks. Jeff Chow, our COO, uh, and I are sharing a team. And uh, we are amazingly actually not terrible. We had sort of like uh, just accepted that we would have to, to basically pull an Epstein Hoyer and, you know, lose before we could win, build the team for the future. And we're kind of, I don't want to jinx it, but we're like, we're not out of it. So we have some choices to make about. You are know, you ahead of Bill? Um, As of last night, we are ahead of Bill. <laughs> I don't think it's going to last. I probably shouldn't because even say all, that all I, all I know about his League of Dork team is what he tweets out and he has not been tweeting out a lot of positive vibes from his team. It's, uh, y- you know things are desperate when you're spending $44 on James Shields. That's uh, that's not a great place to be. Let's see. Yep, we're in sixth place, and uh, Bill's team is currently in seventh. So who knows how long that'll last, but right now, we're uh, we're ahead of the boss. What a, what, a, what a time. What a time to be alive and playing let's, fantasy let's baseball. Let's keep that to ourselves. We don't want to rub that in his face too much. <laughs> Uh, it'll be a good way to find out if you listen to this. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> I would ask you if you think that Manny Machado is going to be the uh, the MVP of the American League, but I already know the answer is yes. So why waste my time or yours or the listeners? You know, I think we're. we're, I'm, we're good. I'm just here to be your yes man. Yeah, yes, I, I think you will. This was delightful. You know, just to, among other things, I, I, I don't want I, I don't want to come off as ungrateful. I mean, I'm a Royals fan. We just had two amazing seasons. But it, 
I, I will not. I will never forget that the Baltimore Orioles had the third pick in the draft, and the Kansas City Royals had the fourth pick in the draft. And everybody knew there were three elite players in that draft, and the third player of those three elites was Andy Machado. Indeed. So enjoy him, cherish him. Oh, I do. I wish he was ours. I, I cherish him every day, as Tate can attest. Uh, I pretty my 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 professional work wardrobe is essentially just alternating between Game of Thrones T-shirts and Manny Machado jerseys. So uh, now you guys are all caught up. Casual workplace, you know. Well, I'll. I'll uh... I'm still I'm still working on on accessorizing my uh, my wardrobe with a a world championship ring. Oh God! So I I, keep, I, I think I've got to beat there. Keep Sorry. those like gold Royals jerseys that they're wearing in check. Those are those are horrible. We get it. Oh, you guys come on! Won. Like we get it. All right, you exactly. won. Congratulations! Exactly. That's what's so great about them. That, 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 what's so great about winning a championship is no matter what the Royals do, they wore those spring training hats with the crown over the KC. They which Edmondson Vulcans, quote-unquote, accidentally wore on opening day for first inning before they told him to take right. it off. The gold threads they're wearing on Friday night game. The, the best part is you can complain all you want, but you you can't argue that they don't have the right to do it. Like, when you're the champions, you can get away with anything. It's and true. The Royals, and as you know, their fans are going to milk it for as long as we can. Uh, and it's just it's such a good feeling. It's it's basically it's basically Sorry, the actual the baseball jersey equivalent of an emoji. Like that's sort of what they're doing. They're just <laughs> putting like emoji crowns and emoji flame decals and emoji trophies like all over their jerseys. It's it's very strange. But I support you. I want you to be happy, and uh, I'm 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 really glad that we were able to share this time together. And I hope we can do it again soon. I look forward to it. Bye, guys. 